these three bands would establish and helm a metal subgenre from mid 90s to early 2000s known as new metal. Welcome to Earbuds and Earworms. I'm Amy. I just learned I'm trash, Shepard. And this is Mitchell Manley, new metal. I don't know. I forgot to think of a good one. I was too busy making a show sheet. I forgot to think of a good nickname. Um, let me think of something good. I don't know. Mitchell okay. Manley, professor of new metal, new metal PhD. Um, I would say new metal know. advocate. Mitchell Manley, new metal enthusiast. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I think that we talked about like um, how we wanted to do a new metal November episode. And of course, I got really excited because I was like, oh, it's November already. So we can go ahead and do this. And I've been, you know, I've had now 16 or 17 days of learning new metal songs from you, right. which turns out I actually knew what new metal was. Um Dakota calls it rap rock. Sure. Which is different. Um, That's right. I mean, uh, usually rap rock does mean something similar to new metal, but new metal doesn't always have rapping, but most of it does. A good amount of it does. But not all of it. Correct. And I've got to point out that he also confused Limp Biscuit and Linkin Park. And then he said. You know how you always make fun of me for listening to 70s hair metal and tell me that uh, my country is showing? He's like, well, I can see your trash. And I'm like, <gasps> I was, dare you. I know it hurt my soul. It absolutely hurt my soul. <sighs> so, yeah. How did we end up with New Metal November anyway? Yeah. So my buddy Josh McLean uh, in the final days of October posted something on Facebook that he was going to be trying to do new metal November and post, uh, you know, a different new metal band every day for, for each day of November. And so I hopped on that bandwagon as well. And a few of our other friends did. So, uh, we've just been posting new metal songs all November and, you know, I grew up on new metal, like whenever I was learning how to play guitar and just actually like getting into music and listening to what I like to listen to, as opposed to just what my parents listened to and what my brother listened to. You know, so super formative for me, even though looking back on it, a lot of it's really cringy. A lot of it's really bad. I still have a soft spot for it. So I'm glad to uh, to have a bunch of friends to celebrate that with during the during the month of November. First of all, it's not trash. Like, OK, if you say Limp Biscuit, I'm like, OK, that might be trash. And I, I know I'm about to hurt your soul. I'm sorry, Mitchell. If you say corn, I'd be like, that might be trash. But right. you cannot say Lincoln Park is trash. I'm just going to. I'll fight you. I'll fight right, you. Right, sure. <laughs> um, what is the song you brought this week? I'm going to start us off with a band called Deadsy and their song, The Key to Gramercy Park. Every night, looking for the fight. Thoughts on the left, the actions on the right. As you know, the it wasn't meant to be starved. Park. I got the key to Gramercy Park. 
electronic elements like taking influence not only from heavy bands but also taking cues from new wave and synth rock and industrial music using a lot of synthesizers and guitars and electronic drums uh the more popular band to do that was a band called orgy whose big hit was a cover of blue monday by new order uh but this band deadsy was kind of right on their heels uh the lead singer for deadsy is a fellow named elijah blue and he's actually the son of Cher and greg allman uh, of the Allman Brothers. So this guy comes from music royalty, grew up with lots of influences from all over, and it really shows in Deadsy's catalog. Uh, they definitely have an anchor in the new wavy synth rock thing, but they're you know a pretty diverse band. They explore a lot of territory, and uh, they famously covered a Rush song, which was not that great, uh, but they also covered Brand New Love by the indie band Sebado, uh, and that cover is actually really, really good. Uh, and of course, I can't bring up Deadsy without mentioning the time that I saw them live opening up for Corn. Uh, and the thing with Deadsy is they play these like kitschy, futuristic-looking instruments that kind of look more like toys than actual instruments. And because they rely so heavily on certain electronic elements, they were clearly like playing along to a pre-recorded track. And not like everything was pre-recorded, but. Uh, there were certain things happening in the music that were not being replicated live on stage. And so the audience picked up on that and hated it. So everyone kind of turned on them. And then later in the show, uh, the, the lead singer tried to stage dive and no one caught him. So he pretty much just like jumped into an empty spot on the floor and had to like skitter back to the stage in embarrassment. Uh, it was pretty hilarious at the time, but still kind of a shame that they weren't quite as impressive live because I really love their sound on the record. I... I really like their like rainbow embracing because there's so much rainbow in this. Music They're all video. color coded. Yeah. Yeah. It's super color coded. Um, straight up. I am going to start dressing like Carlton Megalodon from here on out. That's, That's what I'm just their gonna... bass player, I think. Yeah. And I think I'm just going to have to do that. And the that keyboard, because there's like six keyboards or something like piled on top of each other. Mm -hmm. That's baller AF. Uh, there's so much drama. And I almost feel like this is somehow inspired by the drama of The Wall. But, and yeah, it's just like crazy. Now, it does make sense that you're talking about like Cher and Greg Allman. I kind of see like how that's definitely some like music royalty going on there because there's like a lot of influence go happening here. Cher also had a child that was not with Sonny Bono. Can we talk right. about that? I had no idea. I thought it was just Chaz. That's all I know about. Yeah, I think uh, there's like I think there's like seven kids. I think Cher has like seven kids. How? How? She's like when she was in the early 2000s making like the crazy time song, whatever that mm -hmm. was. Um, how? I had no idea that that poor, that poor woman. She's been through a lot. <laughs> it's so. True. Yeah, also, I just, I love this. It's magical. I I realized after listening to a lot of these songs how much I love new metal. And then, of course, I had to ask you constantly, much like with Vaporwave and everything else. I'm like, is this, is this new metal? And you were like, yes, no, yes, no. But you really won me over with this answer that you gave me. 
because you told me that Linkin Park is new metal, and so I brought Linkin Park's One Step Closer. Everything you say to me admit that I went to look up all the Linkin Park songs that I knew from my youth and they're celebrating the 20th anniversary of hybrid theory so just um I'm having to grapple with the the movement of time because it I just can't <laughs> um so I actually I copy and pasted something from Wikipedia because <laughs> I that's how I learn and so this is what Wikipedia says New Metal's popularity continued during the early 2000s with bands such as Papa Roach, Stained, and P.O.D., everybody's favorite Christian New Metal, uh, mm -hmm. all selling multi-platinum albums and came to a peak with Linkin Park's diamond-selling album Hybrid Theory. However, by the mid-2000s, the oversaturation of bands combined with the underperformance of a number of high-profile releases led to New Metal's decline, leading to the rise of metalcore and many New Metal bands disbanding or abandoning their established sound in favor of other genres. <sighs> I learned so much just in that paragraph. Um, when I first heard this album, it was such a huge sound that I was like, my mind was blown. I was listening to Britney Spears and NSYNC. So listening to Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory was mind blowing. Um, the bass, just magnificent. And I was blasting this in a 96 Dodge Grand Caravan with its primo sound system. And I legit lost hearing because of this album. I could listen to this whole album for the next week and still not get tired of it. Uh, Got to point out, Mitchell, uh, I, I just, I didn't know that this was new metal. And also Puddle of Mud is not the only new metal band. Um, right. I'm indeed happy that Crunchy Hair is gone. Yes, uh, in this video for One Step Closer, Chester Bennington definitely has the crunchy hair. Everybody does. Yeah. It's so crunchy. Yeah, so I, I remember being in eighth grade and like staying up till one or two in the morning on a school night and seeing the video for One Step Closer for the first time. And they weren't really big in the mainstream yet, and they were just like right on the cusp of breaking through. Uh, and clearly tons of other folks like me must have stumbled upon that video and taken interest because the videos started moving to the daytime and then started showing up on TRL, which now that we're talking about MTV <laughs> playing like actual music videos and Carson Daly and Total Request Live, definitely feeling just how old we are, like you were saying. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they were super unique at the time. Mike Shinoda had the cool raps, and Chester Bennington had a really unique voice that made their band sound very distinct among their peers. You knew when you heard the vocals, oh, this is Linkin Park. Uh, Hybrid Theory was definitely a huge album for me, and the follow-up album, Meteora, also had some really good tunes. But past that, I'd kind of moved on to other music by the time those came out, and you know, just don't hit me as hard. Uh, but this song and this album, though, will always have a little place in my heart. 
Oh, yeah. Like, I, I seriously got super nostalgic once we start, like, once I started diving into, like, all these songs that the Airbuddies brought, the nostalgia hit so hard because this was, like, my freshman through, like, junior year of middle or high school. And I was like, oh, I may not have had a million friends, but dang, there was some good music back then. And it wasn't just that ska from Mitchell. <laughs> Our first year buddy is Craig, who brings Le- Reveille's What You Got. You got what you got, what you got, homie. Yo, can I ask you something? What the fuck is up, man? You got nothing. It's just the very day you're stalking, I'm stalking. From that 707 pulpit, roughing. No one of these snakes that be bluffing. Nothing you can say could ever take this away now. Say now, stay the fuck away from this playground. white boys rapping in the late 90s and early 2000s it was a special time that had so many unathletic sweatbands this just gives me like hot topic vibes and i've never heard of these guys before actually most of the bands this week are going to be bands that i did not know before and i am just totally enjoying but white boys rapping to like i guess metal guitars it's magical yeah i was kind of glad that we we did end up with some stuff beyond the basic uh, corn and Limp biscuit, you know, I'm glad that we did get a few kind of peripheral names. Uh, Reveille is definitely one of my favorites. I'm glad that, you know, Craig actually brought one of the deeper cuts. Uh, they're definitely one of those bands that you'd only know if you're deep into new metal at the time it was big. Uh, they had a video or two, but they'd only come on like MTV two. So you'd never see them on the main channel. Uh, they were like a second stage band at Ozfest 2000, so they were getting in front of people, but just never really took off like many of their counterparts did. Uh, this song and this music video definitely sums up a lot of what I loved about new metal. It's like the heavy rock with the rapping lyrical cadences. The music video has lots of people skateboarding and like riding BMX bikes and just like hanging out in large groups, just having a good ass time. And at 15 years old, that was the life I was trying to be living. So, so Reveille was just this perfect microcosm for my personal personality and all my hopes and dreams of being in a rock band and and life being a a perpetual BMX party. (laughs) So when you saw like all those people like hanging out close together, did it make you nervous? It did this time. (laughs) It did did here in 2020, certainly. (laughs) Yeah, like uh, a lot of these videos have that groups in large, like large groups hanging out together. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of the Linkin Park videos have, you know, if they're not on top of a large building shouting, they're usually in like a a concert hall. And I was like, it's amazing how this year has traumatized us. It's true. Our next year buddy is William S. who brings Mushroom Head's Sun doesn't rise. With eyes wide open, you can come and come and take a summer back and watch my world evolve. Tongues in the wrong way, I'll take a summer back. Nothing left to die for. You can come and come and take a summer back. Thoughts inside can make me crawl. Take a summer back, make me drop down on my knees. 
This one does have the aesthetic that I remember of like what all the guys liked in high school. There's current vocals and spoopy costumes. Like all the middle schoolers who existed when Nightmare Before Christmas came out turned into new metal artists. Like pumpkins, spoopy paint. I love it. It's just, I'm loving it. <laughs> yeah, Mushroom Head was a, a really great band, but they kind of got the short end of the stick fame-wise. Uh, they had eight members in their band who all wore masks and jumpsuits and used fake names, which, if you're a new metal fan, probably immediately brings to mind the band Slipknot, who also had a ton of members, wore masks and jumpsuits, used stage names. Um, and apparently Mushroom Head was doing the masks and jumpsuits first, and like the similarities are all just parallel thinking, but sometime in the late 90s, Mushroom Head were approached by Roadrunner Records, who put out tons of big-name bands, uh, but they declined for some reason, so Roadrunner moved on and signed Slipknot instead, and then Slipknot's debut record just took the metal wor world by storm. So, uh, Luckily, Mushroom Head still found their way eventually. They had a couple videos on MTV, uh, and this song was actually featured on the Freddy vs. Jason movie soundtrack, uh, which is one of my all-time favorite soundtracks. Tons of great heavy music on that record. So, uh, Despite missing their chance to be as big as Slipknot, I'm definitely glad that Mushroom Head still got a little bit of time in the sun. This is the, the part where I'm just going to judge like high school me. So, Slipknot's new metal. Yeah. And when I listen to new metal, I don't think it's that heavy. So, was Slipknot heavier or was I just dumb? No, Slipknot's definitely a heavier band, partially because they had nine members and two of them, <laughs> like they had a drummer and then two people who just played percussion and the percussion were gigantic steel kegs. And so they just sound really heavy. They have a lot of bass frequencies going on. Uh, and then they had a guy who just makes noises and then a DJ. So they just like have a lot going on in their mix. I think if I recall, um, John Sniglio hated Slipknot, right? No, I think we all liked Slipknot. I think we're all I, fans of Slipknot. I thought he was the one who came up with the joke, it takes 12 members to suck. He probably did come up with a similar <laughs> joke, and it was probably, you know, just to, <laughs> to be funny. I do know uh, we probably talked about their second album, Iowa, and whether or not it was good, which I think it was fantastic. He may not have liked it, but I'm pretty sure me and John both jammed some Slipknot. And this is when I was, like, in the other room sewing with his mom, I'm sure. Right. Um, Johnny is our next year, buddy. He brings Deftones seven words. Stay back in the show. Your 
shut up, you don't know me. Squeal like a pig when you Johnny says Deftones is the closest thing to new metal as I ever got. They have been one of my favorite bands since 1995. In my opinion, they evolved into one of the greatest shoegaze bands of all time. Mitchell better not argue either. So I've been watching both y'all argue over if uh, Deftones is shoegaze or not. And I believe like somebody at one point like was making fun of everything being called shoegaze. And I think that it was Johnny. Not sure. I will say this is not Daft Punk. Correct. I don't know why every single time I see Deftones, I think Daft Punk. I don't know. I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, sometimes I just utter this chorus multiple times during a particularly stressful evening. Just want to say that. Didn't even know the song. <laughs> and I'm constantly like, fuck, 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 fuck. Uh, for them being such a huge band, I'm always shocked how little I've listened to them. It's much fuzzier than I recall them being. And yes, also still not Daft Punk. Right. Uh, so yeah, back in my early teens when new metal was my favorite thing ever, I actually wasn't really into the Deftones, but sometime around like 11th or 12th grade, old John Sniglio played me some tracks that, that hooked me. Uh, and then I heard their B-Sides record where they cover the Smiths and Sade. Uh, and then about that same time, they started really leaning into the more melodic side, uh, and that really sealed the deal for me musically. They can be heavy or mellow, uh, and as evidenced by covering the Smiths and Sade, they draw from a lot of disparate influences. Uh, and nowadays, because of the transition into the more melodic vocals and the way that they mix really heavy guitars with lots of dreamy, drifty sounds, a lot of folks consider their later to work their later work to be a form of shoegaze, which Johnny points out, and I actually totally agree with. Uh, but a lot of like true blue hipster shoegaze fans hate the idea of Deftones being shoegaze because they associate Deftones with new metal and trendy bro music. So if you go on some of the shoegaze groups uh, that I'm part of on Facebook, at least once a week you'll see somebody like posting Deftones with a straight face, thinking that everybody else is going to enjoy it as well, and then like getting dragged in the comments. Or you'll see a smart ass like me or Metal Johnny who already knows the hate we'll get. But we like to troll a little bit, so we'll post some Deftones just to see the haters kind of spring from the woodwork. Uh, ultimately, though, yeah, Deftones just kind of defy genre. Uh, they only got lumped in with new metal because that was the trend in heavy music among their peers at the time that they were kind of getting getting notable. So uh, it's very obvious that Deftones take a lot of influence from shoegaze, and I think that they qualify easily. But they just draw from so many different places and change their sound so much from album to album. Uh, it's really hard to put them in a single category. Except they're not in, like, French um, disco music. Sure, they're not that. <laughs> Our next year buddy is Josh S., who brings Primer 55's Loose. Not true. 
this literally just autoplayed directly after Craig's pick, so you know it's new metal. Um, my my movement around the show sheet actually probably looked insane to you, Mitchell. I've got to <laughs> say, because we were on the show sheet at the same time, right, and you're like, yeah. "What the fuck is she doing?" Um, so also, I had not heard of Primer Fifty Five before, and it's like that screamy hollery thing that I got super into with emo, except not Hawthorne Heights. Y'all know what you did. Never forget. Um, <laughs> the emphasis on those deep bass tones, it just has my heart. The sounds a little cleaner and has that like record scratchy thing that I guess must be a new metal thing because a few of these bands have had that. Yeah, that's that's another thing. You know, rap and turntables are definitely uh, a pretty big fixture of new metal, but you don't have to have those things to be considered new metal. But Yes, a lot of new metal bands definitely had the the turntables. Uh, Primer 55 was actually a Memphis band uh, featuring a good friend of mine, Josh McLean, who's now in the band Heels on drums. What? Wait, wait, wait. Like the comedian Josh McLean? Yeah, that, that Josh that, McLean. I've met him. He famous? Yeah, he, well, you know, famous is a relative word, but uh, yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's toured with a lot of the bands that come up when we talk about new metal. He he's was on tour heels. with those bands. He's in heels too. Yep, <laughs> that's awesome. And so, yeah, Primer Fifty Five—they were re- never really gigantic in their own right, but they were signed to Island Records, which gave them a de- decent push, and they were able to get on a lot of really great tours, opening for bigger bands. Uh, they were one of the second stage bands for Ozfest Two Thousand, which got them a good deal of exposure as well. Uh, unfortunately, like any good band from around these parts, no one could get along, and I'm pretty sure drugs and the burgeoning fame didn't help. So they kind of more or less collapsed after a couple of years. Still, this debut uh, was just hype as hell. Really cool to watch the video for this song that I, you know, I used to jam as a teenager, and now I can look at the drummer and be like, "Oh, that's my buddy Josh with blue hair," and he's just like back there rocking on the drums. I'm gonna have to rewatch the video because yeah, I you think only it- get short glimpses of it, but. He's, you know, they only show him for like a split second every once in a while because, you know, it's new metal and they got to concentrate on the lead singer. But uh, he's back there. And he's, if I recall, he's got blue hair and, and he's rocking on the drums. And probably a few less tattoos. Right. Yeah. Oh, oh, that makes me happy. Sorry. I'm, I learned it something. Um, our next ear buddy is Robert R. Who brings Edema's giving in. Caught up in life, losing all my friends. edema that is correct okay first of all they misspelled edema just gonna <laughs> i just want to point that out like as something i have to chart all the time right that's not right they but, spell um, it a-d-e-m-a <laughs> the proper is with an e right e-d-e-m-a <laughs> yes e-d-e-m-a um this feels a bit more traditional in some ways not like new metal in 
how we've been t- speaking of it, like the kind of um, synthy stuff with the record scratches and the rapping, and I don't know, it's it's kind of spoopy and it's moody as well. Um, there's like, I I want to call this like new emo metal. Yeah, you know when I saw that you wrote that here, and my instantaneous reaction was no, not really. But the more <laughs> I thought about it, like. Even, like the second I read it, it started soaking into my brain. I was like, "Yeah, this does have a lot of a lot of elements that are very similar to emo and kind of where mm-hmm. where emo core went." Even though I don't think this band really has much in common with those sorts of bands, this definitely has that sound. It's got um, some veins. Yeah, and the in the the drummer or, or the uh, the vocals are just like very emo. It sounds like you know the kind of whiny. Uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yep. so yeah, Adema only had like two or three songs that really hit big. One of them uh, was this one. Another one was like on a, on a Mortal Kombat game or something. Um, but this was their big lead single, and it was always one of my favorites. Uh, their singer is the half-brother of Jonathan Davis, who was the singer of Korn. So I imagine with Jonathan Davis being the godfather of new metal at the time, uh, he probably helped Adema get some traction. But they really earned some spotlight with this jam, I think. It's very dark and brooding, which is cool. And I just really love that main riff. It's played on a guitar, but also on the album. It's doubled with a baritone saxophone. <laughs> And so I have to give them extra points for like sneaking a saxophone onto a new metal track. Uh, they're definitely not a band with much staying power, but a good single is still a good single. This is one of the best. I was like, even like the dramatics though of like how the guy was singing. Come on, that was super emo-y. When right, it? yeah, it's very dramatic. Very dramatic. I like. I want to break out my like black uh, fingernail polish and my eyeliner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard is our next year buddy. And our final ear buddy, he brings Trust Company's downfall. embodies the new metal sound the smooth vocals with the somewhat harsh guitars and then there's like the growly hollering that eventually <laughs> became like screamo <laughs> right yeah trust company's another band that didn't have much mainstream success past this one single uh but just like the edema song we just heard it's a really great single you know back in the day in, in the mtv days that's all you really needed was just one good video uh, and, and this one was one of the best. I think someone in a recent thread referred to them as Whisper Rock, which I think is hilarious and accurate because there's totally a rash of bands at the time who like stuck to a formula of like heavy intros and choruses, but the verses were always like stripped down and had really breathy, low-key vocals, almost like a whisper. Uh, and, and it works really well here, but it absolutely was a, a trope that kind of got old and predictable after a while. 
Uh, aside from that, though, this one has that super epic melodic chorus with the vocal harmonies, and the video was really rad, and it's just always stuck with me, even though the band never got huge. And so, yeah, they're usually one of the first, like, smaller peripheral bands that I pull whenever I want to talk about the new metal that's beyond the big names of, like, Corn and Limp Bizkit and Slipknot. Here's the thing. So, I would not have put Limp Biscuit and Corn in the same category, but maybe that's just because I was just looking at them and not necessarily listening to them. Do they really <laughs> sound that similar? I mean, they, they definitely have significantly different sounds, but there's an aesthetic there, uh, a similarity in the in the guitars. Um, although, you know, Corn was definitely a little bit more weird and, and out of the box, whereas Limp Biscuit kind of concentrated on more rap rock kind of riffs. That, that were party party grooves, but um, you know they 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 both were just kind of outside of the box metal. I I just think of like you know there's that like really sad doll on the front of Corn's album, mm-hmm. and it always made me really sad. And I think that's why I never gave them a chance. I wanted to hug that doll. Yeah, Corn Corn was definitely the more depressed band. <laughs> Yes. And so I just I I think that I judged the book by the cover and I might need to have to revisit it. And I believe you also said it's okay to love trash, so Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um so if you want to tweet at us about how new metal is not trash. I'm at Pow I Gotcha. And I'm at Madam Woolite and the show is at and Pod. And I don't think it's trash because I like it. Um, the Facebook group is Earbuds and Earworms Podcast Group, and the voicemail line is 731-400-BUDS or 731-400-2837. You can email the show, endpod at gmail.com, and you can check out the internets and, and like, if I choose a show picture, endpod.com, part of the 10710 network. I'm actually thinking about just starting to draw them so that we don't get into, like, stealing people's art, so... I think I might start drawing our our show pictures. What do you think, Mitchell? I think that'd be a great idea. It's a lot more work for you to do, but hey. It gives me how it gives. Well, you know what? I like doing it. I can do that while I'm editing, right? Sure. I can multitask. Sure. I'm positive. (laughs) That'll work out great. (laughs) We'll see what happens. What's our final song? All right. I'm going to leave this with a band called Ocean Grove and their song Junkies. Uh, I want to leave this with something a bit more contemporary. I think uh, we featured an Indian band a few months ago. What was it? Um, Bloody Wood as opposed to Bollywood. Bloody Wood. Yeah, um, I think it was actually, I think I might have brought, I think I snuck one of them into the intro last week too. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we had that a few months ago that had a little bit of that new metal influence and that got me hype on the idea that new metal might be making a comeback. And then I came across this band, Ocean Grove. Uh, they're from Australia and they've been around since about 2010, uh, but they're kind of reinventing and reinvigorating new metal, bringing it to a new generation. And honestly, I'm way on board for it. Like a lot of this stuff can sound a little cheesy and dumb in retrospect, but there's still something about that new metal sound that just. I don't know, it just, it just gets me pumped and, and it just pumps up my inner 15-year-old and just takes me back to a time when things in life made a lot more sense and I had more confidence and direction than I do now. So, I don't know, jamming, jamming stuff like this just kind of invigorates that part of my brain and gets me excited. So, hopefully if you were into new metal back in the early 2000s, maybe this will do the same for you. Here's Ocean Grove and their song, Junkies.
First year buddy this week is Craig, who brings Ravel's What You Got. I'm sorry, Reveille. <laughs> okay. 